0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Look, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. No, when it you're comes never to things short, Go on. I'm five you're five.
1: Not helping, Oliver. <laughs> when it comes to
0: opera, we're the only ones bringing you everything you need to know about the art form, the people, and the stories every damn week. And you always pronounce them so well. Check it out. <laughs> five bucks buys an ad on social media. Ten bucks covers our website for a month, and twenty bucks makes a hundred lapel pins. So
2: there are. Like, maybe 100 people in this world that have a lapel pin. So we want to double that number.
0: Seriously, right. 20 bucks. That's less than what Oliver spends each week on light-bodied red wines, whatever they are. <laughs> like Gamay, you know, like a Cru Beaujolais, you know? Don't think you can give? Yes, you can. Simply review us on Apple Podcasts, share our Facebook posts, or retweet us. Most of all, keep listening to America's Talk radio show about opera, okay.
2: Okay, that was too many calls to action. So the main call to action is give us money because that's obviously how you can help us. The other thing you can do is review us on iTunes. Is that what you said? So if you don't feel like giving us money and you don't feel like spending precious time typing, what you can do is just click that share button when you see our post on Facebook. And you could like our page, actually. If you like our page, that helps us get to more people because Facebook is evil and it basically helps us see your friends.
0: Most (laughs) of all, keep listening to America's Talk radio show about opera. Enjoy the podcast. And retweet because
2: Toby loves that.
0: (laughs) Enjoy the podcast.
3: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh...
4: Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. Here in the Lakeside Studio, we are live on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern, Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, Weston Williams, joined tonight by Tobias Wright and Ashley Hardgrave. Alright, tonight, as LA Opera comes to terms with the Placido Domingo scandal, the tenor seems to be doing just fine in Europe. We'll try to figure out why that is in a moment. And then our newest co-host makes her Hall of Fame debut. Who will actually choose to receive the highest honor a podcast can bestow? That's coming up in segment two. Plus, in the two-minute drill, what do you do when you're an opera company that's gotten too big? Well, find a bigger barn, of course. And of course, you can call us on the air and get your voice heard eight. 847 wnur is our number in studio. Give us your hot take on the latest opera news stories. 847-866-9687. Or tweet us at Opera Box Score or post on our Facebook page. There are so many options. Without further ado, Toby, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's how? cold.
5: It's fall. It's perfect. <laughs> the Chiefs have lost two games in a row. And if you're a listener to the podcast, you know that my firstborn son will be named Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Actually, uh, all, hard one all, one all one word. All one word. Ashley, Ashley Hargrave, uh,
4: who are you naming your uh, your first child after?
6: Ooh, um, let's see, boy <laughs> um, or girl, boy or girl. Um, we go matter. gender neutral. Yeah. Gender neutral. We that's shouldn't the best make way choices for them. Yeah, that's absolutely. not their journey. Um, then definitely Leah Remini. Be he a man? Leah Remini. Wow. <laughs> we
5: shouldn't make
4: choices for them. Leah Remini.
5: That's
6: right. I'm gonna name Stop. my
4: child uh, Roll Tide because that's the it's the right boo, season for it. Boo! <laughs> that's okay. Let's talk some opera.
3: Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score.
4: That's what you're listening to. Opera Box Score, 89.3 FM Evanston, Chicago. All right, so. After Placido Domingo's resignation as general director of L.A. Opera earlier this month, the company announced that it has no plans to replace him. Instead, they're going to be consolidating his duties under the company president and chief executive, Christopher Kulsch, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. Um, So this is kind of an interesting move, I think, uh, because uh, obviously Placido Domingo is persona non grata at least here in the states uh as far as you know uh, having appearances um and so it made sense that he would be kind of forced out gently encouraged to leave as it were um but not replacing him is kind of an interesting move in this ongoing drama uh what, what do you think toby well i mean it's kind of you know they're they're not
5: replacing him per se but he kind of had an emeritus position there, anyway, right? I mean, exactly, he was there yeah. to 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 feed the desires of the people. He was uh, there to
6: look and be famous. Yes, exactly.
5: Right. But to his credit, he was really, really good at that. Right, um, absolutely. And so, because he was so successful at that, I think the last uh, statement that Coach, um had. In this statement, and I'm just going to read the last paragraph, I think this is a really important part to note, is that Domingo's work set them up for success. Um, So he said, I'm committed to the vigorous process of reflection and reform. Uh, It is imperative that we foster a positive environment that meets the needs of employees as well as the company. Mm. We will fall short of our goals unless every member of our community feels heard, valued, and respected. I'm committed to ensuring that they do. And so what's really cool and I think is important here is he acknowledges the health of the organization in his statement and says, we're in a position to move forward without Domingo. And we're in a, 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 a position to move forward without Domingo because of what this company has been for the last decade plus. And that is forward thinking, creative, and advantageous in who they've engaged in Los Angeles and the surrounding Southern California area. And because of that, it's a really healthy organization. And he notes that as well. Um, financially, they're in a place where they can move forward without this kind of figurehead at the at at, at the top of the organization.
4: And that's kind of what I feel like, I, whenever you see this kind of position at an opera company, it is like a figurehead. It's, it's basically, you know, the Queen of England, right? She doesn't have really any power anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, although I think be Domingo careful. is probably a little bit more... <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Queen might be listening. <laughs> the Queen is a big fan of our <laughs> podcast. Girl, you know
6: she's <laughs> subscribed. <laughs> yeah.
4: um, but I, I do think that this is a very much a sort of a remnant of that uh, 20th century diva and divo uh, uh sort of mm-hmm. culture where uh you did have a lot more of these stars that would fill up a house regardless of the quality of the performance frankly
5: sure and and so maybe this is an opportunity for again
4: an opportunity
5: and, uh, and that's our show <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's an opportunity for l a opera to say, all right, cool, you know that is kind of an antiquated way to go about things is finding a super famous person. Now a super famous person to be at the head of your organization to get other people involved. That that's what Domingo right. was there for, was to get other people involved. Well those people are already involved and invested. And I'm talking about people with money, people who have financial backing and that's what you know working in a nonprofit arts Uh, Organization is all about about. fundraising, maybe. I I mean, it it is true. Unfortunately, you know, the American model is that we don't survive without our fundraisers. And so, because those people are now already so heavily invested, um, and I think since this show, since Opera Box Score has started, their budget has grown. I, I I wanna say in the last four or five years it's nearly doubled in its entirety. It's been pretty dramatic. If only
4: the the same was true of our budget here at Opera Box. Hey, we're <laughs> we're getting
5: there. If you want to fly us to your festival and have us go and review, we will
4: do it. Will. I will be there.
6: And now that you now that you've got a, a lady in the cast, I mean now we're even more diverse than we before. Oh, were we are before. so oh,
4: yeah, diverse so now. We yeah. are so diverse. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah. Thanks.
5: You're welcome. Um but so it's a chance for L.A. to be now even more forward-thinking and set a bigger right. precedent, and say that it's not star power that's going to be um, what drives this organization to success. It's going to be our community at large.
4: And I think these kinds of positions. I. I. I, I, I mean, it's hard for me to say. Oh, uh, take this venerable opera singer, and you know take them away from the organization. I don't think that's necessarily the solution in this case, but I do think we should phase phase these out. Because it's one thing to say, uh, all right, uh, Mr. Domingo, you're not going to be in the performances that you were supposed to be in this season. Um, But it's another thing to have to extricate them from the sort of the fabric of the PR network around it. Mm -hmm. And I think it also adds to this sort of cult of personality um, around these abusive, uh, sort of figures when they have this reinforcement that they are what makes something successful that allows them to commit these, uh, acts in the first place. Um, which can be, I think this is only a good thing. And I think it might be an interest. I think it's an interesting way for, um, uh, an interesting and fairly easy way to kind of move away from this culture that allows this sort of thing to happen in the world of opera, at least. Yeah,
6: I do feel like there was a really interesting, so in addition to sort of the statements that have been put out about the lack of an appointment, there was a letter that went directly to all of the donors at LA Opera, and there was a very interesting turn of phrase at the end that Mr. Kolsch, or Kelsch, however we pronounce his name, uh, we are honored and grateful to have earned your trust. Yes. Like the use of the word trust there... Considering the context of everything that's going on, <laughs> is both a bold and a good and a, an eyebrow raising choice, in my opinion. Yes,
4: absolutely. The entire the entire letter is kind of interesting because uh, it does also start off with a a, a paragraph thanking what Demi done for
6: the organization. Oh, yeah, interesting choice. Which okay. is also
4: there's a lot of interesting choices, but I do think that uh, there's uh, there's a sense that it's uh, that they're they're acknowledging that. Uh, Domingo was a part of their organization, um, that they did result in some positive aspects of the organization's growth over the past few years, Um, but also really trying to put out there the fact that there is a new sort of era happening where this kind of thing is in the past, and now we're moving forward without it it's a it's a proactive statement in a lot of ways it is it
5: it gives them wiggle room actually in the event and i guess we can say in the unlikely event that he's absolutely cleared from all of the allegations it gives them you know the space to say you know we thanked him we gave him the opportunity um to be here and to have due process play out but we chose to make a decision and while that process is playing out we went in a different direction. However, we're you know we are grateful for what he did, and I don't think you can ignore what he did for La Opera necessarily. No, no, absolutely. You can not. separate the two things truly, um, and I think that's what La Opera has said. You know, it is true one that he absolutely pushed forward La Opera into a realm that it hadn't previously been, mm-hmm. and at the same time, there are allegations here. Um, of a behavioral pattern that, that we are absolutely unacceptable.
4: Uh, yeah. That are of right. such
6: magnitude, yeah. That's you yes. can't that w- not talk about them. Exactly. yeah,
4: It's, uh, you know, it's it's Wagner all over again, baby. Oh, woof. Uh, <laughs>
6: woof.
4: <laughs> I, I won't go on a rant about Wagner right now, but what I do want to sort of uh, bring into the conversation here, um, uh, uh, Domingo just had his uh, first performance post-leaving the L.A. opera in uh, Zurich. This is Open House Zurich's uh, production of... Nabucco, uh, and he, total the uh, the article tallied 18 minutes of ovations for him, and some of those were even before he even had a chance to sing, which I find interesting because I, I feel like the attitude in the U.S. even amongst uh, you know people who support him is not that enthusiastic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and the, he. he even though you see that you know he's he's been dropped off of every list in the United States, there are many many people still on the Domingo train uh, in Europe, and I was kind of wondering if you guys have any speculations as to why that might be. Um, any? Well, okay. I, there's a I I don't know really what to make of it, but
5: here's where my thought process is on this, and this doesn't necessarily relate. Specifically to Domingo, it's sure. more toward the um, Me Too movement. Sure, um, and so, in a lot of ways, currently in our current political climate, and you know, with climate change and certain things that um, are going on around the world that are global issues, it feels like to me, um, and these are my opinions, uh, that the United States has really fallen behind from the rest of the world in terms of progressive thought. And so, if this is our moment where we decide to really take a stand. And especially in the realm of classical music, which is by and large a European art form that we right, brought right. over. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, but if we're going to take a stand there and say that there are behaviors that will never be tolerated again, um, I'm a hundred percent all for it. And so, you know, like I said, allegations are allegations and the European houses have expressed the, the want for due process and innocence until proven otherwise. And that is what, sure. That's what, liberty is based off of, right? Um, but, again, as with LA, it can be true that due process needs to be played out and that an investigation needs to happen. Sure. But it can also be true that, you know, when you have multi-dozens, multiple <laughs> right. dozens of allegations... This over is
4: not an isolated... Spanning over spanning a
5: generation. Years, spanning Absolutely. over a generation. I think that's enough evidence to say, all right, there... No. Not anymore. Right. So that's where I kind of fall in. I don't know what the European opera, I'm not saying that their response to Domingo is one of like, uh, we're totally fine with sexual harassment. <laughs> I don't really think that's
4: what's I going just, on. I just think it's fascinating because I, I could see that perspective from, from a European opera company uh, or any opera company really, where they're like, well, he, he hasn't been put on trial and he's still yeah. a big star, et cetera, et cetera. Or, I think the thing that interested me in this article was the fact that the audience was so supportive of him. Sure, uh, You know, it's, it's it's odd to me.
6: Yeah, but also, I, I, I also think the geographic location of this is interesting. You know, we we were speaking a little bit earlier about how Zurich tends to be pretty progressive in a lot of ways. Like, maybe right. you would have expected this in a house that was rooted in a place that was more known for chauvinistic culture, like a, a men will be men, you know, people... Sure, sure. Know, it's, it's flattering if he's paying this much attention to you. So that was the thing that raised my eyebrow, was like, Switzerland? Really? Really? It was
5: Switzerland? Yeah... Uh... It's hard to say because for me, you know, you you got to consider who the people are who are applauding. Um, True. What their class is, what uh, you know, like how
6: much money they have. But poten- <laughs>
5: potentially, you know, and I try not to be an audience poo-pooer because I I try not to hate on people for for um, success. I guess financially, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's tough to say. <laughs> it is, are, you, it, are you trying to raise the
4: proletarian rabble here?
5: Nah, I'm trying not to, actually. I'm trying to avoid it altogether. I, because, I'll do it for you. Because of all of the really
4: rich people who listen to our show are, <laughs> who are going to be offended by what oh, I'm no. saying. All of our donations have just gone out the window. No, right. I just think that, like...
5: Yeah, it's interesting that the audiences are so strongly in favor of the artist in this situation. Yeah, it's it, so plainly it is, it's just, ignoring what's been laid out in front of them.
4: Because I've been to uh, uh, the Opera House in drink. Zurich. Drink, drink. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Take and a shot uh, for George, too. He probably has. <laughs> Poor George.
6: Hi, George. Uh,
4: and uh, and the, very much what they push, their PR and the types of productions they do are all very emphasizing the progressivism of the art that they put on. they they they're known for taking uh, odd production choices, um, you know, non, none of it's a lot of Reggie theater, you know, things like that. And there's lots of emphasis in the programs on progressive things and inclusion uh, of of different perspectives. Uh, so it was just interesting to me that there seemed to be some I, I think there seems to be, based on my one experience in in Zurich, uh, some sort of divide between their audience and the uh, the actual administration of the opera company, uh, and that might just be perceived um, i 'll have to get back get back to Switzerland <laughs> and find out sometimes <laughs>
5: they 're probably not flying us over there for their next
4: probably plane, not you know? <laughs> Oh if they want to i 'd still probably do it I mean you I know guess if I have come to. on zurich don't don 't hire any more Domingo, but if you want to fly me over to your, to your place i 'll be there all right let 's move on uh, to get a uh, little bit of a Uh, Monday Evening Quarterback
3: Pass or fail Here's Monday Evening
4: Quarterback That's right. It's Monday Evening Quarterback, and you know what that means. I, Oliver Camacho, am telling you all about a show you just saw. Since Oliver couldn't be here tonight, I'm stepping in for Oliver. So I recently went and saw the uh, lyric production of Louisa Miller on opening night, um, and uh, I have some thoughts on it. But what I want to point out before I get into what I thought, I kind of want to point out... um, an interesting phenomenon out there in the internet-o-sphere. So there are two, um, two kind of diametrically opposed reviews. There's one in the Chicago Tribune, um, which is very much a... Uh, it's a, an absolutely glowing review. Uh, and then there's one in Chicago Classical Review, which is a big sort of a local uh, outfit, uh, which is... I, a scathing review, uh, and I think um, you guys both glanced over it, um, uh, both of them. But it it is impressive how different these reviews are. It kind of is. Like, and did they see the same show? Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
5: yeah, it, it, you know, and it's kind of weird because as someone who, ha- two things, I've not seen the show, <laughs> but am familiar with Louisa Miller, and ha- I cuando le sere a placido? That's one of my favorite arias to sing. Mm. Uh, and reading them, I have no idea what to think. I truly, and that the main point about that is that's not good for an audience. That's not good for an audience looking to be right. informed. Um, so I'm not sure, obviously, they're at odds. The Tribune gave praise to both the musicality of the singers, uh, the brilliance of the orchestra, and then the Chicago Classical Review said the singing was awful. And I think the (laughs) final line was of of Enrique Mazzola. Oh, yeah. Enrique Mazzola's conducting proved the largest disappointment of the evening. Red glasses do not a music director make. Yikes!
6: <laughs> I am angry at that comment. Yeah, that—that
5: that was totally unnecessary. Yeah. As What's the person, as the the person in the
4: room it? who 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 saw it, I um I I don't think that's a fair thing to say although you know as someone who has reviewed things in the past i do i do love a good sort of mic drop line even if it's not necessarily
5: (laughs) you know what so do i i actually think stuff like that can have its place can be it can lift up the art form right right and one thing that classical review does that i'm really appreciative of is it does have a a proper critical eye for the singing right it talks about a crack that kale has let's acknowledge that that happened but then let's also acknowledge that he sang an aria that was clearly the pinnacle of the evening and was beautiful. And yeah. it does that. So those are the types of criticisms that I want to hear. Um, but that felt oddly personal. And then the, the Tribune was just a fluff piece.
4: The, the Tribune was absolutely a fluff piece. Uh, I should say at this so point... Let's, can I ask you this yes.
5: before our segment time is up? Should I read what Oliver wrote or do you want to share what you thought?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I want to give my thoughts since I'm in charge this okay. time. <laughs> okay. um, uh, although I think I actually agree mostly with what Oliver said here. Uh, Oliver and Matt Cummings and I were all three at the uh, opera and we kind of have the same general uh, uh, thoughts. Um, I, I think the big, thing, um, the big thing that you have to understand was that the first act was rough um i don't think there were very few singers that kind of came away unscathed for whatever reason whether it was being slightly out of sync whether it was that uh... voice crack or or just you know i think it was just opening night nerves mostly because acts two and three were pretty solid uh... uh i have to i want to point out um, uh, uh... solomon howard playing the role of worm he's a he's brand new lyric debut he was fantastic amazing debut Um uh... I also want to point out uh, this is the first time I saw Christian von Horn live. Mm -hmm. He was phenomenal all the way through. Great artist, Um, absolutely great. Uh, However, the main problem with the production was the uh, stage design and direction, which were bland, um, flat, and really threw any little other little vocal quirk or crack or uh, or. It, it threw everything to sharp relief. Didn't didn't lend
5: anything to the imaginative experience of the show.
4: N- absolutely nothing. It was yeah. completely blank, uh, safe to the point of not making any sort of sense. <laughs>
6: so yeah. you, if you could have amended like one production value to make the show better, what would you have done?
4: I uh, honestly, I would have just spent like another day being a little bit more specific with uh, blocking. Um, there, there, There was only one good... Directorial blocking choice. It was the final image of the opera when the tenor and the soprano are, yeah. are lying dead, and the two fathers come to their bodies, well, and then spoiler. They- Spoilers.
6: <laughs> if somebody Lee dies in opera, Man. go on, film at 11. Uh,
4: <laughs> uh, both of the fathers, Quinn Kelsey and uh, Christian Von Horn, uh, go over their respective uh, stage uh, uh, offspring. And, I love uh, both of
6: the singers uh, so much. Uh, and
4: they, they look up at each other and they make eye contact. And it really sent chills down my spine. Yeah. It, really, wanna... it really said to me, this opera, and I think actually the Tribune article actually did say this, um, where... It made some comment about the the style of the time, early Verdi, not being super conducive to high dramaticism. Mm-hmm. But a moment like that, I feel, proves that you can find really interesting ways to stage something, even if it's not immediately obvious.
5: I want to just read a quick excerpt excerpt of from what? Oliver? Um, from Oliver? Yeah. From Oliver. And he's talking about uh, the three principles, uh, Stoyanova, Kaleha and Quinn Kelsey. Um, and he said, I really wanted to like this show, and I kept trying to make excuses for the three principles uh, in my head. Um, each had their glorious moments of singing, but they were just that moments. Hmm. Occasionally entire pages of the score, though hardly entire scenes. And his mini review for the show um, is that it gets off to a slow start, but Verdi's genius shines through. And a singer like Stoyanova, who seems to value intonation above everything else, comes in real handy for the show stopping a cappella quartet, which is. It, it, it was really that was of that was
4: a, a legitimately. It's hard to mess that piece. one up. It's been so long since I've seen uh, Louisa Miller, and I think that was the highlight for me. The last time I saw this piece, I was literally in elementary school, uh, which tells you a lot about my life and little what West I do. Little baby Louisa Miller, <laughs> yeah.
1: <that tells laughs> little a baby lot.
4: Louisa Miller, um, but overall, I would say that um, vocally it was uh, an impressive show, um, uh, minus the few baubles in Act One, uh, with a dull production that really dragged it down. But still, I think, worth seeing if you are interested at all in early Verity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on since uh, Mazzola, Enrique Mazzola is going to be the new uh, music director starting next year. And uh, he specializes in early Verity. So it's a, it's a good sort of... Um, it's an interesting debut for him, and I wish it had gone a little bit better for his sake. Um, and without further ado, we got to move on. Uh, we got to move on to the next segment. Ashley is bringing in a new inductee to the hallowed halls of the Opera Box Score Hall of Fame. That's next only on America's Talk Radio Show about Opera on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago,
3: you're listening to Opera Box Score. More, right after this.
4: Support for Opera Box Score is provided by VisitPhilly.com. Looking for a deal when you visit Philadelphia? The Visit Philly Overnight Hotel Package has great perks that make it easy to come and explore the city of brotherly love. A lot of people
2: think that Toby and I enjoyed some brotherly love (laughs) on our trip. Are you telling me you didn't? um, You know, we had sort of manly... Just like oh, okay, just d- okay. nice distance, we had two separate beds. <laughs> Left some Thank room you. for Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Visit Philly for providing us with a room that had two beds on it. So oh, I,
4: very yeah. nice. Book the Visit Philly overnight hotel package for a fall getaway and get overnight accommodations as well as free hotel parking and awesome seasonal perks worth hundreds of dollars. So this package, uh, apparently, it pays for itself. It's that the, makes sense. The perks
2: are hundreds of dollars. So, <laughs> I, I can't yeah. conceive of spending anything that's more yeah. than fifty. So that, I took a plane, so I didn't drive. But I guess what you could do if you wanted to waste money is fly to Philadelphia, rent a car at the airport, yep. and then park it for free.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So you're saving money by <laughs> These are great the travel hats. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Start your adventure with free tickets to the National Constitution Center and the Museum of the American Revolution. The rest is just steps away. Perfect for opera fans,
2: the Revolution Museum.
4: <laughs> I, I'd there's, watch that I don't opera. think there's an opera museum, but apparently there's... What about
2: Hamilton? There's a place called Victor, which I didn't go to, but maybe it's like a restaurant where they sing or something like that. I didn't oh. make it. Somebody recommended that I go there. I didn't I'm so sorry. Well, it,
4: maybe you need this package. But I
2: did go to Aliche Pizza, which is fantastic. It's mm. right by the Academy. It's like Roman-style pizza, where oh. you buy it by the weight. I think we have one of those places here in Chicago. But oh. Really great flavors. They even have non-dairy pizza over there. And, uh, yeah, they just weigh your pizza, and they heat it up for you, and you have a glass of wine. You sit on the,
4: uh, the, on the patio, and it's a delight. Well, speaking of pizza, the Visit Philly Overnight Hotel Package includes a restaurant card that gives you $25 towards select restaurants in Iron Chef Jose Garcia's Restaurant Group, the Garces Group Jose Garces Garces Yeah Jose Garces Restaurant Group The Garces Group The Garces Group Yes The Garces Group Great Plus, you can ride the Flash Bus, that's Flash with a PH, ph yes. obviously, for an easy way to get to historical attractions and cultural institutions anytime for free. I did not ride the Flash Bus. I Ubered everywhere, and I had a great time talking oh, to Ooh, Uber la drivers. la. No,
2: no. I mean, I'm not, I don't roll like that in Chicago. You're saying but, you're too good for this package? I want to meet people. Actually, my last Uber <laughs> driver gave me his personal phone number. Wow. Because he says the next time I come to Philadelphia, I have a friend
4: in Philly. Aw. I know. And well, I don't even think he was coming on to me. He was married. You could have exactly. made friends with the Flash Bus driver. <laughs> That way. Probably. For more details, go to VisitPhilly.com and find the Visit Philly overnight hotel package on the Plan Your Trip tab. Just click, show up, and wonder. Thank you, Visitphilly.com. Thank you. And now,
3: ladies and gentlemen, this is OBS Hall of Famer, our enthusiastic yet humble. Salute to a distinguished opera artist who has gone above and beyond to contribute greatly, distinctively, and with grand significance to the art and honor of opera.
4: Who the heck was that?
6: That is the reason we are all here (laughs) today—not
5: just for this segment, but like in life in general.
6: Yes, yes. (laughs) This is the reason we are alive. That we are. That is the reason we are all here today. We are here to talk about the love of my soprano life, Belle. Miriam Silverman, otherwise known as Bubbles or Beverly (laughs) Freaking Sills. Okay, so that recording was uh non disperar, which is from Giulio Cesare by Handel. That's a recording from nineteen sixty eight when she performed this with the Cleveland Orchestra uh in the Severance Hall radio broadcast. And like that sounded I mean anybody can do that, right? Anybody can (laughs) sing like it's so easy.
4: Toby certainly can, definitely.
6: Come on. So, okay. So the reason that I wanted to nominate her for our Hallowed Hall is because I consider her to be the first American opera star to be fully American in the way that she kind of blazed her own career Hmm. from how and when she chose her roles to her, you know, blunt and candid speech to her third and fourth career inventions. She was, in my opinion, every kind of one of a kind, you know, I don't just love her voice, which as we just heard is silvery and exquisite and butter and the definition of at Colorado I I love her, besides the talent, I love that she made this career, you know, facing a lot of significant challenges and really just kind of on her own terms. Were
4: you calling it uh, silvery because um, uh, as a pun on Ballad of Baby Doe? Uh,
6: well, that's pretty specific, <laughs> but sure, why not? Um, yeah, no, I mean, definitely, you'll... Guys, listeners, you'll get that in a second. Um so um yeah, so to really get into sort of the the how and the why of of how much I love Beverly Sills and why I came to her is you got to have a 2-minute origin story on yours, truly Ashley Hargrave. Um so my uh, my first music teachers were in order, my family, church, TV, and the Motown record label. Um, I did not grow up with classical music in my mm. house. Um, everything that I learned was Baptist hymns. It was listening to my mom teach piano lessons. It was quizzes on Four Tops lyrics from my dad, a very extensive Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross phase, and then whatever was playing on television. <laughs> that's that's what I knew music was, and frankly, that's all that I knew music was. So you was. didn't go
4: to Louisa Miller in I elementary not, school like the rest of us? I did
6: not join eight-year-old Weston at <laughs> Louisa Miller, no. Um, but around <laughs> around the time that I was eight, we did get cable. TV. And there was a channel called Arts and Entertainment, which was the original A&E before they just started showing Law and Order all the time. Uh, And (laughs) that is where I saw for the first time an orchestra. That is where I saw a conductor for the first time. I saw ballet. And most importantly, I saw reruns of The Muppet Show, uh, which included a very specific episode with one Miss Beverly Sills. And she was making (laughs) these sounds that I had only ever heard come out of one other person. And that was my grandmother. So my dad's mom was a novice singer and she actually was invited to study in New York city at a conservatory in the 1940s. Uh, She was wickedly, wickedly talented, but she also at that time in the forties already had two children and a husband. So she was basically relegated to the back row of the Baptist church in rural Arkansas, where we grew up, you know, just kind of belting out just as I am, but with this gorgeous lyric soprano voice. And I'd never heard anybody that sounded like her before or since until I saw this episode of The Muppet Show and this beautiful woman in a white dress who was singing on television with pig puppets. So we cut to graduate school and I'm in conservatory. I studied music in undergrad, but to be fair, You know, I was originally going to go to law school, so I was just kind of enjoying undergrad, and I wasn't really following the legacies of singers, Um, but by the time I got to conservatory and I was taking it seriously, I was told that I was going to be groomed as a lyric coloratura soprano, and I was given the task of going and researching a few singers, and one of them was Beverly Sills, so again... (laughs) Not knowing that much about the legacies of singers, I just went to the Harold Washington Library and started picking up CDs. And one of the albums that I saw was Beverly Sills. And I'm not kidding. I said out loud in the middle of the library, it's that lady from The Muppet Show. (laughs) Um, So like I said, you know, again, my my classical music education was kind of all over the place. Um, But it was really, you know, once I started to discover what she did and how beautiful it was and how effortless it was. I started to want to learn everything about her, not just the music that she was making, but kind of her life story and all of the things that kind of made her the human on top of the artist that she was. She obviously had the talent. She had this passion also to reach out to new types of audiences. She's one of the first people that really sorted, sort of got the understanding that to make this art form popular in America, it was going to have mm-hmm. to go past the houses in major cities. You were going to have to go out into you know places where they didn't have a mat, places where they didn't have you know a, a San Francisco or a Lyric Opera of mm-hmm. Chicago. Uh, you know, she had a lot of really you know, interesting challenges in the beginning of her career and a number of personal adversities that she had to move past. And she did it all with this beautiful style and grace. Um, one of the things that I really love about her was that she was really committed to being, for lack of a better term, just American. You know, she was she was a first generation American. She didn't have an interest in going overseas to make her career. She really wanted to do it here to stay kind of close to her family and her family responsibilities. And so I thought it was really fitting that one of her first triumphs was this distinctly American opera that was really kind of the first famous one in the canon. It really became a calling card for her. I believe we have a little bit of that.
4: I think we do. Let's take a little listen. What's the what's the opera?
6: Uh, This is Douglas Morris, The Ballad of Baby Doe. This is uh, I know people will will refer to some of the other Baby Doe arias, but my personal favorite, because I had to learn it and I sang it a whole bunch, uh, was the (laughs) silver aria for a silver voice lady.
4: That was gorgeous.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, girl can hang. She uh, can
4: absolutely. Hang. Uh, yeah. It's such an amazing role for her specifically. Uh, I feel like Baby Doe isn't done too much nowadays, but she she's so defined. Uh, that opera for me, you know, um, uh, that was one of the ones my dad was always a, such a huge fan of. He's a big, uh, Sills head. I don't know what, what, what are baby Sills oh, fans? Sills TM, TM, TM. Like
6: We're that. keeping <laughs> Sills head. Yeah. That's ours now. That's
4: it. We've coined it. Yes. TM.
6: <laughs> yeah. Th- I mean, that aria in particular is just so, um, You know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of reflective and indicative of kind of how she lived life, you know, because the text of this is, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, Baby Doe and her relationship with Horace Tabor, who is this wealthy gold magnate. And and so the the. The, the, the currency of value at that time was gold. Mm-hmm. And she says in the beginning, gold is a fine thing. Like, yeah, that's totally great. But silver, let's talk about silver, mm-hmm. how it's the, the, you know, it's the, the metal of the moon. It's the core of dreams. And so in a lot of ways, Sills kind of did the same thing. It's like, yeah, this is the, you know, with her path to success, this is the way most people do it. I'm going to do it this way. So in a lot of ways, I think that's just a really lovely metaphor for kind of how she, uh, how she lived her, her musical life. But can we talk about this voice for a second? Can we talk (laughs) about the technique? Can we talk about the movement, the flexibility, (laughs) the musicianship? She is, I mean, sorry to go back to the other metal, but the gold standard of combining legato that's effortless and insanely fast color tour, which you didn't really hear in that one, but we'll, we'll get to that one in a second. Um, it's, It's beautiful. It's uh, in a in a way, it's disarming. It's Mm -hmm. terrifying. And for somebody who is a a music student, a soprano like me, it's it's a little annoying that like I will never (laughs) be that good. Like nothing I do. It's
5: okay. No one else will be either.
6: (laughs) Seriously, no. Like nobody. (laughs) And that's not to say that you're not great. No, oh, you're darn right. I'm great. I mean, we'll put you
4: in the Hall of Fame next week. You know what? Week, I can find... hang.
6: I'll put it that way. I can <laughs> hang. Um, I'm no Sills. I'm no Sills. I'm a huge Sills head. Or what do we say? Sills. Sills head. Sills head. Yeah. Sils Sils head. Sils S- head. S- so yeah, I mean, but it but it is. I mean, it's it's so beautiful. It's almost upsetting. Like you're almost mad that somebody has that kind of talent and makes it sound so flip and easy. Speaking of that talent and going to the other side of what her voice can do. Um, why don't we take a minute and let's look at uh, look a little more at the role that kind of made her more of an international star after she kind of made her her way in America? Um, let's hear a little bit more of Cleopatra in Handel's Giulio Cesare. This is the same concert in Cleveland uh, in 1968. This is the uh, de Capo section of Da Tempeste, which is uh, it's a it's a barn burner. So buckle your seatbelt, kids. Da <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's all that. Uh, so yeah, I mean thoughts, Weston. Thoughts, feelings, concerns, I mean, prayer uh,
4: requests. The 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 Giulio Cesare <laughs> uh, phenomenon is always so interesting to me because I, I feel like you know uh, we've grown up I think in a world of the the great Baroque revival mm-hmm. uh, and Beverly Sills had a really I think key role uh, in kind of kicking it off. Um, even though she didn't do a lot with, like, period instruments or that sort of thing. uh, But the popularity of her Giulio Cesare and the way she just absolutely nails it is... (laughs) I think deserves a lot of the credit for the quality of baroque music we now enjoy here in the 21st century which is a weird sentence to say
6: no but <laughs> no, I, think you're, I think you're totally right about that though because yeah I mean when when she first kind of came onto the scene you know bringing down houses mm-hmm, with this piece mm-hmm. it wasn't as widely done as it is now exactly so now we have a lot of young singers that you know have have grown up on these recordings or at least in their conservatory lives and have sort of taken bits and pieces of her ornamentation and and make them sound incredible but she didn't have that she didn't have a YouTube, she didn't have recordings mm-hmm. to listen, you know, she was doing this all on her own. And it was, again, kind of harkens back to something I'll talk about in a second, her her ability to grow as an improviser on stage was something that hmm. was was really... Interesting. But yeah, so there, so there's all that. So yeah, clearly she's, I mean, she's all right. She can sing. She's she can okay. sing. What else can she's, she do? You know, the thing is her, her musicianship is only a fraction of what made her an absolute star of her time. You know, her, her cover in 1971 of Time magazine that was, you know, the uh, American opera queen. She was keenly aware of what it took to bring opera and classical music to the masses. And the great thing about her was she had the personality to really sell those things and reach that. She understood Not everybody, like I mentioned before, was going to be able to get to a city with an offer house. So what she did is she toured the country extensively to college towns, smaller towns with recitals. Um, There was a really charming thing that she did. Where she she only had one voice teacher ever in her entire life. Really? Yes, yes. Uh, her voice teacher's name was Estelle Liebling, and her, Estelle had taught her a Portuguese folk song when she was ten. And she closes, or uh, yes, she past tense closed every single recital she did with this song. And it was actually mm. the very last piece that she sang on stage in her farewell or farewell concert. It is. We might have to link that on our website. It is. It is. It is just a tearjerker of a piece. We'll put
4: it on the website for you. (laughs) Absolutely amazing.
6: So yeah, so I mean, so she, again, she's one of the first people to like take things to the masses, take it to where they are and not expect people to come to her. You know, with this personality, then she started to harness the talk show circuit as she was really becoming famous in the 60s and 70s. So girlfriends on Johnny Carson, Dick Cavett, Merv Griffin, Dinah Shore, and then, and then Weston, she was so good at talk shows that they gave her one for two years and she got an Emmy for it. (laughs) Amazing. Yes, Mm -hmm. Lifestyles with Beverly Sills. I believe we have a guys, you've got to hear the theme song for this. Oh, I'm so excited. So good.
4: Here we go.
3: I'm Beverly Sills, and welcome to Lifestyle.
4: May I just say that is the platonic ideal of '70s talk show music, right there.
6: I want that music to follow me everywhere. As soon as I leave my house in the morning, I just want that to be playing as like my under backing as I as I move on throughout my day. I just I want to be in like a cream-colored silk blouse with like air-blown hair. Oh my god, everything about it is so good. So yeah, so she she went on talk shows and became famous for that. She was making the rounds as a recitalist. She finally gained international acclaim with Julia know, you know, she's doing all this really cool stuff. And then finally, the place where I found her the most accessible was uh, was on The Muppet Show. Uh, it so all
4: comes back to The Muppet it Show. I say this every episode.
6: <laughs> back, it always comes back to The Muppet Show. So uh, in 1979, she did an appearance there. It's episode number 409. Um, the segment is called uh, Pigoletto, uh, but it. it actually goes through a couple of different pieces, and I'm sure you will recognize them as you're as you're going through this. So just picture like the grand dame of opera, at the pinnacle of her career. She's in a fabulous white gown. She's in a sea of felt pig puppets, and then she does... Is this Simbrenia.
3: I know what I
1: it <laughs>
4: I wasn't expecting the the Wagner in that and I absolutely love it.
6: <laughs> I mean Here's the thing though, is that like it would have been so easy for her to just kind of like phone it in and have and, and just be not taking it particularly seriously. She sounds incredible mm-hmm. in that clip. Mm-hmm, not to put too mm-hmm. fine a point on it, but she goes whole hog as she does her duet with like uh, Miss Piggy. Piggy. <laughs> um Yeah, no, I mean that's the thing that was so fascinating. I mean, and just imagine like, you know, seven year old Ashley just, you know, eyes as big as saucepans, just like, <laughs> Who is TV. this woman? She sounds like my grandma, no one else has sounded like this, and then cut to twenty some odd years later, and I'm like weeping in a Harold Washington library remembering my grandma and this moment. And yeah, she's she's everything. She's fantastic. Um, so yeah, she's got this incredible talent. By the way, if you were going through the trajectory of those operas, you heard Traviata, you heard Carmen, you heard Aida and Valkyrie. And if we had kept going, you would have actually gotten to the Pigoletto section. Um, so <laughs> the other thing I really liked about her is that she, again, she's going her own way. She didn't sing at the Met until she was 40 in 1975. Really? You know? yeah, huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Rudolph Bing apparently wouldn't have her, but I mean, clearly she didn't need him. She was classic
4: famous. Bing, am I right? Classic. Bing. No, but Bing. seriously, you know it really is classic it, Bing.
6: <laughs> it is said, like by the time she finally premiered at the Met, you know th- the phrase that people would use is she wasn't premiering at the Met; the Met was premiering with her. So that traditional <laughs> hallmark of success wasn't wasn't the thing that she needed. She just did it her own way, you know. And then she ends up retiring from singing in 1980, kind of still in a, a relatively strong point in her career. She decides to. She wanted to remember her voice at its strongest point, which I think is actually right. a really lovely, real lovely thing. She did it with Grace in class. There's a gorgeous farewell concert that, again, has that Portuguese folk song in it. Uh, and then she took over uh, as the, the manager of New York City Opera fun fact about that, she auditioned for New York City Opera seven times before they hired her. Really? Seven times. They finally hired her in 1955. Nobody knew at the time when she took over a New York City Opera after she'd retired how dire that straits were. They were actually in a lot of financial trouble and she took them from deeply in debt knowing absolutely nothing about how to run a company to thriving in just under six seasons. You know, singers wow. felt safe to go there and take risks because again, this was a place that didn't have a great budget. They were very hard scrabble, and again, it allowed for all of this great improvisation and and thriftiness and craftiness when it came to making the art happen. And because she had been such a thrifty, crafty, and giving singer in her career... The entire industry owed her a favor, so when yeah. she became the boss, she cashed in on all of those, and she absolutely won big. You know, she moves on after that. She uh, she chairs the Lincoln Center. She does eventually chair at the Met, which I think is hilarious. Uh, and then she champions charities <laughs> like the March of Dimes. She even married and she had a family. One of the challenges she faced was that both of her children were born with with disabilities. She took them on the road with her, despite hmm. all of these challenges that they had. Her her daughter was born deaf, and so oh, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and they had. They had a very, um, you know, they had a couple of challenging points in their relationship. But on the whole, you know, they they really had a very, very healthy relationship as, as her daughter Muffy moved into adulthood. And through all of this, she rallies. She does it all on her own terms. And she sounded better than everybody else while doing it. There were so many companies that weren't interested in her.
5: Kind of the reason that she's worthy for induction to the Hall of Fame um, is that... She had two distinct careers. She had her singing Absolutely. career and then she had a whole, you know, almost 40 years after that in which mm-hmm. she dedicated to not just advancing the art form, but really, I mean, you are talking about March of Dimes. Her whole mission once she retired from singing, quote unquote, was to advance humanity. And that's why mm-hmm. I think Beverly Sills is overdue overdue for Agreed. this induction <laughs> and in fact ashley when you emailed us earlier and said that this is who you're going to do i was like wait have we not already yeah leave it to the lady
6: to come up with kind a good of idea like <laughs>
5: negligence have we been putting on this show this is why we needed ashley this whole you time you needed a woman's
6: touch this whole time <laughs> you know uh there's so many clips that i want to play for you and we don't have time for all of them there's manon there's donana there's rosalind uh, there's thais there's oh so many um but there's this really awesome interview and again we might I might just link you guys to this later, but she did an interview in like 1986. She was still in her tenure at City Opera, running it, and and she just. Uh, I have a little supercut of these pieces of advice and wise words that I just listen to on a loop periodically when I need a boost. And um, we're not going to play the whole thing, but we've got just a little bit that just kind of gives you an essence of who she was.
2: I don't take defeat. I just don't. I don't even acknowledge it. I won't be defeated. It's a it's a way of life with me. I. I don't believe in the word. I simply don't believe there's anything that can't be accomplished if you stick with it.
3: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
2: Want to get your voice heard on Opera Box Score? Listen to Opera Box Score live from Chicago, Monday nights at 9 p.m. Central from WNUR 89.3 FM, or, since sometimes you can't really get that station, by searching <laughs> for WNUR on tunein.com, where you can stream the show in real time. Are you telling me I can call in during the show? If there's more than two people running the board, yes,
4: you can. (laughs) Yeah, you can call in while we read the two-minute drill, usually around 940. The number for that is 847-866-9687. We want to know your thoughts on the news of the week. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score or message us on Facebook. We'll do our best to read your comment on the air, but please, no thirst tweets at Toby, although I would understand if you did. Once again, call into Opera Box Score Mondays at 940 Central Time. The number,
2: once again, 847-866-9687.
3: This just
4: in, the two-minute drill all right listen up here's everything you need to know that happened in opera land over the past week jesse norman's funeral proceedings took over her hometown of augusta georgia last week as the city celebrated her contributions to music as an african-american artist in a field often to hostile to what she represented the street outside the jesse norman school for the arts which opened in 2003 was renamed the jesse norman boulevard in her honor Vermont's Barn Opera, which has been holding performances in, you guessed it, a barn since its inception, is moving on. Oh, don't worry. It's moving to a bigger barn. Here's a quote. Uh, We were selling out all of our performances and people weren't able to get tickets. That's Russ McColeman, who's the technical director. It became obvious we just needed a bigger venue. English National Opera has announced their plans to install Annalisa Miskimmon, an opera director and administrator, as the new artistic director of the company starting next year. The announcement comes after the surprise re- resignation of Daniel Kramer uh, earlier uh, this year, who had attracted criticism for the quality of Eno productions under his leadership. Uh, Maren or- uh, Orstak- um, Orstavik, an opera critic who has been following Miskimman's work, uh, said that she has a talent for seeing what audiences will like and that she will uh, has a sense of what will be good artistically to try singer songwriter Ethan Davidson will be the new chairman of the board of directors at Michigan Opera Theater starting in November he is currently the chairman of grants committee of the William Davidson Foundation as well as one of the directors of the Motown Museum Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood is starting a classical recording label, and it's all thanks to the humble recorder. Greenwood told The Guardian, quote, I'll get to the venue early, seek out these rooms that smell of deep heat and jockstraps, get out my recorder, play one of Telemann's canonic sonatas, and just be swamped in this flattering reverb. I have fantasies of putting demands on the writer. You know, instead of cocaine and call girls, hook me up with a really good amateur recorder group. That's a quote for you right there. Uh, Pensacola Opera is using its ump- upcoming premiere of As One to educate residents about the transgender community, hosting a town hall-style st- hall discussion on the topic last week. Cody Martin, the education director of the company, said, quote, We know there's a need for these types of pieces that really speak to people, especially in an area like this that might not be as familiar with these types of topics. Friend of the show, Anthony Roth-Costanzo, opened up about his role in the Mets' production of Agnaten to NPR last week, as well as a surgery that could very well have left him without a singing voice about 10 years ago. A link to that story will be on our website. On the disabled list, Roberto Alagna is out of Verdi's Otello at the Bayerische Staatsoper this summer. He will be replaced by Gregory Kunde. And on this day, October 14th, the composer Alexander Zemlinsky was born in 1871, and his student Arnold Schoenberg premiered his music with drama, Die glückliche Hand, a uh, hunt rather, in 1924. Dominic Argento's Postcard from Morocco also premiered on this day in 1971. And for all you Messiaen fans out there, Maurice Martineau, the inventor of the early electronic instrument known as the Homme de Martineau, was born on this day in 1898. And that is your Two Minute Drill. Making fun of Are me in the studio. That was hilarious.
6: He so fired. We're fired it's Weston.
4: very, very good. So How
6: dare you, sir.
4: That was just a little tribute to uh, Maurice Martineau who invented the <laughs> instrument you just heard, uh, the the de Martineau. And you know, we don't talk about Messiaen enough on this show. I've always said. I've said this many times, and so I figured that uh, now is the time. We so don't, don't talk enough about <laughs> Messiaen. I
6: mean, I love a good fever dream. Why I, I,
4: not? I love his. I love his. I love his weird electronic instruments. I love his bird obsession. Have you ever heard uh, his Saint Francis of Assisi? It's so good. I have actually.
5: It's and so good. What, he has the quartet for the end of time that he it's oh, yeah. well So good. Yeah. All right, we should oh. probably move back, back away from that a little so bit. Actually, you know the barn opera thing um, in Vermont. I'm friends with the artistic director Josh Collier. We've oh, done really? a few shows together, um, and. I, we're you know on Facebook I've been following this for a while so it's awesome that we're talking about it on the show but it's such a beautiful area and I can attest to, um, that area loves the arts I mean period there's arts colonies there's another opera company that I performed with Opera North up mm-hmm. there several yep. times um, and they sell out their shows and so it's so much that Valley area that kind of like is a little hippy dippy is pretty progressive <laughs> and like. Loves their arts. It's hilarious that they're, like, growing, but they've outgrown their space. But how often have you outgrown your space and it's a barn and you're going to another one? I love it. Do I
6: get to say we're going to need a bigger barn?
5: (laughs) We're going to need a bigger barn. Um, You do get to say that. Anyway, I love that. And congratulations to them. It's really cool when... um, we're not going to call that a store from an opera company. We're going to we call it a, a, a barnyard barn- barn- <laughs> opera company. Well, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a community project that has been invested oh in God. and is succeeding. It's awesome. Whatever.
4: It's so good. I love it's, it. it. You're right.
5: It's There's a so yard. many
6: barnyard animal puns I want to make right now. Like, they're all rushing to my like frontal cortex and I can't like, freaking get them all out. Uh,
4: so, Ashley, what, aside from the barn, what stories jumped out at you today?
6: You know, I do love the notion of, you know, my, my boy Greenwood from Radiohead. Uh <laughs> That quote
4: is just the most rock star thing I've ever heard it's that involved just, recorders.
6: It's just a darn delight. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, if you had told me that we were going to talk about cocaine and call girls while talking about opera, I mean, you know, it's not oh, as far the, the, reach as you would imagine.
5: How many characters do you think opers. I had? <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding, the room's the smell of
6: deep heat and jockstrap. <laughs> mm. Goodness. Let's <laughs> have I <need a> get <laughs> I know what a that. quote. <laughs> um, I will say, though, you know, if we're actually going to make this happen and he's going to start this classical music uh, record label, what I want want is an all baroque cover of paranoid android how amazing would that be
5: that'd be rad i'd love that Uh, there's actually great covers of radiohead music by some classical pianists christopher mm -hmm. o'reilly is one that comes to mind he transcribes all of their music and it is stunning it actually it worked the reverse for me christopher o'reilly as a classical pianist got me into radiohead Wow! Oh, really? I have, I have
6: yeah. so many follow-up questions for you off broadcast, <laughs> but cool. Yeah, no, I definitely, that's, Yeah. Paranoid Android is like my favorite Radiohead song, so I just want to hear it done with period instruments now.
4: I think my sort of favorite story I mean, for this week is uh, the, uh, the Pensacola opera story, because mm-hmm. um, As One obviously is kind of, you know, continuing to take the opera world by storm, uh, and I think that... Uh, It's really kind of inspiring to see an opera company not just put on the opera and say, oh, this is a challenging, relevant work, but to really sort of, you know, back up the talk by giving a talk, so Mm -hmm. so to speak, Uh, because I I know that, you know, as someone who works uh, occasionally in the field of education related to uh, the arts and music and opera, it it, it can be hard sometimes to uh, really say, "Okay, what does this community Need right, and uh, it's so neat to have an opera—not just the opera, but the entire opera company—supporting these m- positive messages, these this this educational campaign to actually try to make the community better. Yeah, um, which is not something that I think that is always accomplished by necessarily just putting on whatever opera you want. I couldn't agree more. And I think I don't want to speak out of turn,
5: but Weston, where you're from, me personally, where I'm from, and Ashley, where you're from, speaking Roll of. Uh, Right. But where we grew up, I think, you know, sometimes um, the reason that there's not an openness or willingness to share and exchange thought is because there's misunderstanding. Absolutely. So I couldn't agree with you more. A misunderstanding causes insecurity and insecurity causes a shortness of thought and an unableness to exchange ideas. So just starting a conversation and saying this is why this topic is important, I think is a Brilliant move by Pensacola. In a town like Pensacola, like that
6: adds weight to this choice. Yeah,
4: excellent. Well, we got to wrap it up now. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. That's right. We got a good calls and bad calls. Who's got one for me?
6: I got a good call. Good call to Broadway violinist Martin Agee for playing Bach, Handel, and Mozart for dogs that have been rescued from abuse.
4: <gasps> amazing. Oh, w- my God. The w-
6: footage, the photos are amazing. <laughs> it's just sweet, sweet dogs that ha- are kind of coming down from trauma, and they're listening to Mozart. Oh, it's, I love I'm, that. I'm dead. It's great.
4: Oh, my heart. Uh, my good call is the fact that it is now for sure actually fall. I had my first pumpkin spice latte uh, this morning. I am good to go. I am wearing the. <laughs> Sweaters. I'm uh, all about those fall colors. And that is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio <laughs> Show about opera. The general managers at WNUR are Henry Moscow and Somil Sangvi. Our announcer is Norm Woodell, who you, you can find at voxershorts.com. That's V O X E R S H O R T S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra, with opera statistics and on this day content from Opera Bass. Dot com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts there. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright and Ashley Hargrave, I'm Weston Williams asking you to continue the conversation about opera over a warm cup of hot cocoa or whatever your favorite fall drink is. We're back on Monday, October 21st at 9 P.M. Central to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the nation's nonprofit advocacy advocacy program, Opera America. Join us then. This is W N U R 89.3 F M and H D Northwestern Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment.